welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Well, here we are, back at it again. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Good to be with you. Yeah, likewise. Father Mike, Father John. This is uh, this reminds me of the old days back in Rome, uh, podcasting late in the evening. That's we, right. We just finished Lord's Day. We're sitting in the library at the Companions House, and but we had a regular kind of Friday night session at the end. We were kind of a bit delirious after long days of uh, oh, in Rome of working, and uh, yeah, those are those are good good days. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was wild trying to keep the mind straight at the end of the week. Are, how how are the levels here? Uh, you I'll check. Ch- my, uh, I think my headphones are yeah, we'll too check low. Your headphones. Thanks for your patience. Very official. <laughs> uh, we'll be back right after the commercial break. Commercial break. There you go. How's that, Mike? Is that a little better Is for there, you? There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here we good. go. Okay, good. So um, we finished the Lord's Day meal with decaf coffee. Uh huh. And I'm I'm not sure that that, that was, was decaf. decaf. Yeah. I'm feeling jittery. <laughs> Francois. I got shaky hands, but... He wants everybody up at 6 a.m. to watch the Belgium uh, oh, that's it. World Cup game, so maybe he's, he's trying poisoned to us. Yeah, juice us a bit. I uh, Does decaf have caffeine? I think a it's touch of caffeine. Uh, I think so. Maybe, okay. I shouldn't have this book in front of me right now because I am 18 pages away from finishing East of Eden by John Steinbeck, and it has been a wild ride. Now, you read it years ago, right? I did. I can't say that I remember all of it. I, I do remember, like, characters and some of the some of the plot stuff you didn't like kathy i, I believe i did not like kathy Ooh, oh no a chilling character i've never seen a character like that no i remember when i was reading about her like early on it was like a real moment of despair like is anybody good yeah you know or is this stuff just like creeping in the depths of our heart and our you know our life if the circumstances were different would i be terrible yeah no, it's it's quite the quite the drama of uh, of yeah of fallen humanity, and then the kind of mystery of grace and and goodness still working. I mean, it's been this has been a really interesting. This is John Cooney. You know John Cooney. He's sure. in your uh, Greek three class, I believe. That's right. This is he wanted to start not a book club, but a brilliant a, a, man, a literary society. That's what these oh these let, men of letters you know call it. And so, so what is that? It's like you have a group. That's the society. I guess. Yeah. Are you all reading the same books? Reading the same thing. Is this thing. the first one? It's the first one, yeah. I'm oh. always pushing guys to read literature. Oh, I, think I love it, that. I think it, Newman described uh, literature as the autobiography of humanity. Oh, yeah. In his uh, letters, or his idea of a university. And I thought, you know, if we are, uh, if we're supposed to be experts in humanity, which is what the pre- John Paul II says a priest is supposed to be, then we better, we should probably read the autobiography. So yeah. you just it's, finished a little Walker Percy, right? I did. Love in the Ruins. I'm not sure I would recommend it to everyone. Yeah. It's a wild ride. Uh, a little bit racy if your family out there. It's probably not uh, bedtime reading. <laughs> <laughs> but it is one of those, yeah, it's an exploration of um, of grace and about kind of what in the depths um, makes us human and then w- what does it mean to have depth? Mm. Like there's this constant refrain of, a comparison between um, the angel side of us and the beast side of us and how we could be at times one or the other 
and there's something of a goal of integrating the two. So angel being like abstracting everything, living in ideals and not being grounded in the concrete. You can hardly relate to the, the real stuff that's going on um, right in front of you. And then the beast is just living out of our lowest self, you know, east of Eden, mm, right? Yeah. Fallen. You got any favorite characters from this thing you're going to talk to the society about? Yeah, we're meeting on Thursday. Uh, we're going to get some beers and talk through it with the guys. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see these last few pages to see kind of how everything kind of sorts out. But Li, who's the Chinese uh, um, kind of servant of Adam Trask, mm-hmm. uh, he's definitely a favorite character. There was a guy named uh, Samuel Hamilton, who's an early long character oh, Irishman. That's right. You remember him from the farm? The farmers, yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely a great man. There's some great characters. I mean, it's I don't know. Novels have an ability. I feel like it's it's like exercise. Like when I read, when I read it at a good click and a good pace, you just get complete. I get completely enveloped in it. You mm. know. Yeah. Um, but some if you can't get into it, it's just like. Yeah. You know. So. But Steinbeck's style of writing, I find just amazing to read yeah you know? and he's a character guy you can really get into the, yeah. the people now lee did he have any faults i'm trying to remember if he like all the characters have some sort of brokenness and yeah fall. yeah i think he, i can't remember he's just like the good the he good is guy he's kind the of the wisdom figure yeah oh yeah of it yeah but uh yeah we'll see how it ends here tim Schull. you remember tim Schull? oh yeah tim so Schull. we might have to podcast on that at some point that was a very uh beautiful kind of theme through the uh the whole thing so yeah you uh you do a good job of reading uh literature i think and i feel like you read widely you don't just read classics you read contemporary stuff and you know yeah i think i had i I was raised with the classics and love it um i still what did i i started prince and the pauper and that's a fun mark twain Uh uh-huh and uh but had just been in this series of pulitzer prize winning you know, novels and they were good. They were real good. And, but I kind of wore out of the, a sort of postmodern attitude. Like they don't really need to have much of a point and the characters are sometimes real hard to understand. So it, they do make you reflect on humanity. Like, you know, who am I? What is, what are my loves? What does it mean to re- relate to people and to the world? Sometimes in nature, there's a really cool book called The Overstory that I read. Um, it's got kind of a environmentalist agenda, but only at the end. Hmm. Um, yeah, I love literature. It really, I like that autobiography of mankind. What did you call it? Yeah. Ourselves. The autobiography of humanity. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and if you don't read, I mean, you can kind of get like a little flavor of this in a very superficial way by movies or these other kind of like cheaper entertainment but it's sort of like it comes and goes really fast whereas a book you takes the time and the interest and you can chew on stuff for a long time yeah yeah you, you they accompany you for i mean i've been reading this for on and off for a couple months you know yeah that's so a it's big like book it, too it uh you, you carry these characters with you um yeah it, it's it's fun to watch um, my nephews and nieces. I was just with them in Florida, and their parents are doing a really good job of, um, yeah, just kind of immersing them in it, you know. So I think they're in, like, somebody's doing the Chronicles of Narnia, and they're reading The yeah. Hobbit, and Dad's reading it to him at night, and it's just like, I just love that, you know. That's great. 
And it's I so was not formative reading. of the imagination. Yeah. I'm decades behind because uh, I didn't read for the first, until I had a conversion at 18. I don't think I ever read a book. So, <laughs> Well, that's not too late. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have been pretty disciplined about it, though. You read yeah. regularly. Yeah. You make space for that. Is it like an hour a day, two hours a day? Yeah. So uh, there's a great book. Um, did you ever read Sir T. Lange's book, The Intellectual Life? No, I remember Kevin presenting it to us. Yeah, I'm teaching it in my in one of my courses right now. It's, it's this book from a Dominican in 1920, uh, and it's it's just kind of a classic about the intellectual vocation. And uh, but he is he's big on the two hours of reading a day. Yeah, right. Um, now he he's very clear like that's that's if you're uh, um, you know this is like your your job so to speak. Um, Which it is for a Dominican. It is for a Dominican, so this is not going to be for you know uh, a father of four or something like that. Uh, and um, but I just think reading is important. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, it, just, it fills our days. And and then I think I, I it was I never read literature really until I was a priest. Um, I remember sitting in this room together actually and saying, "We've never read Homer." Like we all just realized that. Yeah. Maybe you had, but. I know Larkin and Book and I had not, and we just decided, okay, we need to read the Iliad and the Odyssey, yeah. and we started that. And it was just like, you know, and um, but there's something about with all of the the theological and biblical work that we do, like this just balances things out. I feel like it it puts flesh on ideas. You know, you can think about nihilism, and then you can read about Kathy and East of Eden and just yeah. get a totally different sense of you know how these things work. And what and, is virtue? Like, what is a good person? Yeah. Oh yeah. Who do I want to be? Yeah. What about? Um, I think it's it's good to have both a sort of thought provoking, entertaining kind of read, you know, usually fiction, and then also have like an intellectual project. You know, that's kind of easy for us to say because we teach and we um, do research and like really intentionally with a kind of a goal of somehow applying these things, whether teaching or publishing, whatever. And most people don't have that same goal, but I just encourage everybody, you should have something you're studying. Yeah. You know, whether that's birds or whether that's, you know, theology or it can be really anything, you know, computer chips. Yeah. But something that's uh, more like disciplined, right? It's kind of like, you're not just, it's not just feeding curiosity, but what's the difference that like that studiosity? Studiosity or studiositas. Yeah. Is yeah. that the difference? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Curiositas is one of the, is the, is the opposite where it's just, you're kind of floating. And I think living in a technological world where we're just, th- information is thrown at us all the time. It's hard to stay focused. And yeah, Absolutely. I was just talking to my own spiritual director about that recently. And he's just like one intellectual project at a time. Yeah, because I just love I and I think you understand this like Absolutely. love ideas and then you get drawn into this and it's just like no stay focused you know went to this atonement conference last week which was amazing all these people but that was my kind of fall project was just the study of this theology and I hope to bring it into a podcast but I gotta yeah I gotta learn the no, material definitely and so but yeah having that I think I, I I love what you're saying everybody you know should have that yeah let's see what did what did I work on with my. Uh, spiritual director. I just went on a retreat. 
Yeah, and you're... one of the things that came up was um, a kind of renewal of the evangelical councils, and particularly obedience. Hmm. Um, I'm a rebel. I kind of glory <laughs> in my shame, and uh, so as a practice, I was driving home from. It's like I think north of Fort Collins or kind of northwest on the way to Laramie, this Virginia Dale where the um, the Abbey of Walburga is. Uh, glorious place, really beautiful. If you ever get a chance, there's Benedictine nuns there, and it's just a, a a beautiful place, kind of hidden in the in the hills there, the mountains, and um, the yeah, the presence of the Benedictines is like being one foot in heaven, mm. you know, these angelic characters. But anyway, I was driving back, and as an exercise of obedience, I drove the speed limit. Wow. And I, you know, I'm not a crazy driver, but I'm usually about five over. I'm not recommending this to you 15-year-olds or whatever. (laughs) Um, But it was hard. It was, like, really disciplined. Um, And watching all the cars fly by, and even in the slower lane that I'm driving in, I think driving the speed limit was slowing everybody else down. Yeah. You know? I, I guess... Part of my principle is like, keep up with traffic. You know, if everybody's going the same pace, then you're all safe, right? And, uh, but yeah, today was like, luckily I had the time and um, just didn't feel pressed or anything. Well, you and got, then it's kind of enjoyable, right? Really. You got the post retreat glow. I mean, I mean, it's like oh, peaceful. Man. You're just driving. Oh, You're not yeah. in a rush. Like things just kind of stabilize again. I'm listening to critical Gregorian chant. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is great. I hope it lasts more than two days. <laughs> we'll see. So you got any takeaways on obedience? No, not really. It was just developing. Yeah, just yeah, the, the, kind of a call yeah. to conversion there. Yeah, and in just in a lot of places, like responsibility. Don't procrastinate. Um, the living the rule of life and being really faithful to prayer um, to yeah my own resolves, but also, you know, just the promises we make as priests and being con- uh, cognizant of that, you know, always being mindful of, I had resolved to imitate Christ in all, at all times. And I, you just, these things, you forget them. And I don't think it's all that far away. It's almost like the driving thing where, um, it's it's just taking a step back and then trying to be intentional about things, and it's it's not like everything's um, totally been thrown out you know the window and I don't have any obedience in life, but it's just like okay here's a little improvement you know take take a step here take a step there. Yeah, we're very blessed to have a an, a, an obedient something we're bound by by obedience, which is to take an annual retreat. Yeah. Um, and it's like a reset. I mean, for me, oh, it was just like amazing. Oh, okay. This is yeah. This is how you're supposed to live life again. Not yeah. the just kind of madness and you know frenetic pace that I go at. So yeah, body, mind, and soul. It was all rested, and it really I I felt afraid of coming back. Yeah, just trying to keep out of my mind all the work that needs to be done and all of the the pace of life in the city where I can't see the sunrise and just all the differences. So. I'm not called to be out there in the monastery, not yet, but um, it is, yeah, it's just so refreshing and so simple. It's like, this is, 
in some way what life should be and something that I can really integrate into my life. A good prayer life is like that. You have a little bit of retreat all the time. And um, if it's not as often as it is for me, uh, rushed or um, almost done as a duty sometimes. Yeah. You know, so that's that's obedience. The uh, uh, and it was a perfect time because tonight we begin Advent. That's right. Which I think is everybody's favorite season of the year. Like oh, it's I, so pleasant. I think every you know every Catholic. It's like when I talk to people, it's like yeah, everybody just loves Advent. There's something about yeah. this. Is like yeah, we're in it now. We're doing it. You know. Yeah, there's something comfortable, and you're preparing for something joyous. Yeah. It's not too hardcore. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I love it. I don't know exactly how. We're in you know, it. You start hearing the the back echoes. How do you echo backward of Christmas and uh, songs huh. and the and the snowflakes and all this? So okay, so that's not the topic. All but right. You want you want the topic? Let's do it. Okay, so the topic is about the triumph of good over evil. Hmm. So this will work with your uh, East of Eden and. Um, yeah, just some of the th- themes of brokenness. So first, I want to contextualize a story of late. So I listened to the liturgy podcast. Um, good work. Okay, It was Thank you. very interesting. I'm also really happy you could be there for the beginning for yeah. the banter with Gilba. Oh, it was so fun yeah. to be there and uh, to see him. And um, I... Yeah, well, one, you've set the record for the length, oh, and I don't doubled. ever want to hear yeah, you giving a hard time for being too yeah, long. I, I will not give give you a hard time about that, because that was, and that was me hustling him along. I know, I heard it, yeah. Like, like okay, next, next Like, it, it could have been five hours, easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it was good. <laughs> I don't, um, yeah, I didn't agree with everything completely, um, but I would say, yeah, with the majority. And, uh, you know, there's time to kind of talk about that stuff, but I don't want to debate any of that um, right now. But I do want to say at the beginning, we had talked about some, like reminiscing about stories and it was like getting the old guys back together and talking about fun times. Um, But there was one point, like listening to it again, it's so spontaneous, you know, it's not real calculated or everything, but I was real uncomfortable. So it was... um, when we were telling the story of Germany and <laughs> I don't, so there's some goofy stuff, but um, what made me uncomfortable was we get to the, the top of this, uh, this mountain, we climb the mountain. It was grueling. It was this great adventure. And then we get to the top at the Eagle's nest. And the way that it was described is kind of like, there's this great joy to be at Hitler's house. Yeah, no. And, I, so I wanted to contextualize that a little bit and just kind of recognize that what we, what we hadn't kind of talked about, we, we were reminiscing about an adventure. So right. that's the way it kind of um, was described. Um, but th- it's an intensity of a place. We weren't like happy to be around, you know, this like Hitler's memory or something like that. It was more like, um, first you get there and I think the first reaction once we dealt with the relief is the intensity of the place. Yeah. And so I remember the first thing that I did was, um, to kind of pray a prayer of mourning 
and to pray for all of those millions of people who died because of this uh, insane tyrant and his ideology. And um, so I want to recognize that, that there's a great sorrow that you, um, that you just feel. And, um, and then I do think it kind of changed into something of a place of joy. And that's because it represents the triumph of good over evil, because this isn't Hitler's house anymore, because you have the beauty of the mountain and that came before and that will continue. Um, it's like the goodness in that place. And then just knowing that good triumphs over evil, that um, the, the, he was convinced that he was going to take over the world and that this was the future. And the future is not violence. You know, it's not terror and control of everybody. So I do think there was um, something of joy with the sunset and, you know, drinking a beer with the guys and just being in a place. It almost is like that place is, um, it, it is glorious. It is a happy place in a way because it, did represent something so terrible that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. You know, it might have a lot of different forms. The world is broken, obviously, but there was something of the triumph of the good. And maybe that was mentioned with the band of brothers, you know, this um, just kind of glorious moment of triumph over that uh, regime. But um, yeah, that's the first example that I'll make of uh, the victory of mercy and goodness over evil and yeah, violence. I think that's a good just context for it. Um, it was such a wild adventure just getting up on top of the mountain. It was also one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen, yeah. just Birch's Garden and the the height from the Eagle's Nest. I mean, just the, the view and the experience. But then, especially going into the building was really eerie. That's, yeah. where, it, that's where it felt just really kind of... And when I was out up on the mountain and we were, when Bob Band's playing, it yeah, felt yeah. just kind of like, okay, you know. But I think that's, that's a good uh, good qualifier story. Yeah, and I don't know that that needed to be uh, contextualized. But anyway, I felt awkward about it and no, thought good. that it would be helpful. And and also a segue into um, just two two more examples of the victory of really Christ over evil so one of those is this um, Santa Maria Sopra Minerva. So you remember these churches in Rome? Oh, yeah. It's one of the best. There's one in Assisi, too. Um, but tell me about Santa Maria Sopra Minerva. Santa Maria Sopra Minerva. So uh, there was a temple to Minerva. Oh, wait, wait, don't go there. Just describe the church. Oh, sorry. I'm going to get there. The church is beautiful. I, th- I think it's the only Gothic church or one of the only ones in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um. St. Catherine is buried under the altar. On her feast day, they open it up and you can go in. I think it's May 29th or whatever. Um, but it's absolutely, I mean, majestic. It was the center of the Inquisition in the Middle Ages. Is it? No, was, I didn't know that. At one point, there was 500 Dominicans who lived uh, in and around Santa Maria Sopramonera. Wow. So it was really the Dominican. Oh, no, you told me about this with yeah. the bridge? The bridge, yeah. Is that the same? To the Roman the College, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, that's... That's depressing. But uh, you got Fra Angelico there. That's right. You know, the tomb of the great artist. Right. I think he's patron saint of artists. Okay. 
Uh, I don't know. And then yeah. there's this beautiful back sacristy. Do you did we have mass there a few we times? We did, yeah. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. It had they took the the frescoes that were uh, paintings that were in St. Catherine's room when she died in Rome. And it was in another house, but they took the frescoes and then they... Oh, yeah, it's just down the street, right? Yeah. And then they built this um, chapel in the sacristy. And I don't know that it's real easy to get into. you got to make reservations and then um, kind of have the hookup or whatever. But, um, yeah, a real special place. The whole church, you know. Okay, so there's now, a very temperamental sacristan that I remember working with. <laughs> that Rome has these types. Just, oh yeah, and he was still there because I, I went and prayed there when we were there in October, and I was like, there he is, same guy. But they're, they're helpful, but they kind of roll their eyes about everything. Yeah, everything. Everything is a total inconvenience. <laughs> everything is impossible. That was the word I always heard. Because the impossible. It's yeah. Like, oh, impossible. Okay. So. Yeah, and that yeah that doesn't really mean a whole lot if you're in Rome, and somebody says non è possibile. <laughs> Just ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, now we'll get into Minerva. Who's Minerva? Minerva. Minerva. This takes you back in, yeah, go ahead, Minerva. Um, Oh, man, rusty on the uh, Oh, that's okay. Mythology. I can talk about Fire it. Fire away. So, um, Minerva is the goddess of war hmm. and associated also with- Is she with, Athena? Yes. Okay. Exactly. So, if you're going back to your Homer here, yeah, um, she shows up a lot in the Iliad, Athena- know and um because she's she's violent and she's wild and some scholars will say she was tempered in her you know her violence in war but um she's pretty reckless and doesn't seem to have a lot of logic between kind of who she's supporting and why but um yeah just became this kind of figure of the um the kind of violence in the human heart and um, all of those mythological gods are somehow, um, what did you call it, anthropomorphic? Right. Yeah, so they're, they're somehow a reflection of human beings and the best of ourselves, the worst of ourselves. And so she's, yeah, she's associated with violence. She um, was the namesake for Athens, Athena. So they had up on the hill, they have this famous Parthenon, and she's... Um, known to be the virgin goddess as well. So um, the Parthenos is virgin. So you got this temple to the virgin. And in some way, celebrations for both wisdom and war. Now she gets into um, into Roman mythology as Minerva. It's just a different name, but for the same goddess with the same kind of history and the same stories, the same mythology around her. And then there's certain rituals that were associated with every um, every god, and for her it, there was this kind of week in March that I forget the queen 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 Tessie, something something of the the name of the festival, but they would have extra um, coliseum games you know, gladiatorial games, which were really violent. I mean, it's hard to really express that when you, people look back and kind of romanticize it as just sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were about killing people and about enjoying it. And um, as much as you could do would, you know, pump up the crowd. And that bloodlust was something celebrated during this festival. 
So they would amp up the gladiatorial games. And then there, you know, you'd have certain ceremonies surrounding um, war and the celebration of war with uh, Minerva and then uh, Mars. Mars is also a god of war. God of war yeah. And this is during March, you know, the month named after Mars. So you have these characters who represent violence, who represent uh, bloodlust. And when Rome was Christianized and a lot of Italy, there's Maria Sopra Minerva churches all over the place. So Maria Sopra Minerva means Mary over, you know, triumphs over Minerva, you know, the, the goddess of war. And you have this new virgin who represents something altogether all different, absolutely different. You know, in the Salve, we say, oh, Clemens, you know, the, the merciful one, you know, our lady who shows mercy. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about Mary? You're the Mariologist. Um, I, uh, well, first off, I, I remember the, the virginity connection. I was wondering about maternity also, if there was a connection or if that was a different, um, a different kind of goddess or kind of connection, or if it was just the, the, the virgin, the virginal kind of interplay between Mary, the virgin mother, and then the, the virgin goddess Minerva and the, the kind of, I don't think she has anything maternal associated with her. I did just very little research (laughs) as usual, but, um, none of it said anything about motherhood and, uh, that makes sense, right? With a, with a virgin. But there's something remarkable about our Mary then, right? Yeah, and there's kind of a twofold level there. I mean, it's Santa Maria Sopra Minerva. So they built the church over the temple of Minerva. Right. But also, like you're saying, there's a there's a figurative way of speaking here. Yeah. Uh, or a deeper sense of like, this is the conquest of mercy, exactly. uh, of goodness over violence and war. Um, and this is Christians who had been martyred for the last couple centuries uh, who were then kind of saying, kind of living this out and wanting to concretize it in a church, which is just spectacular. I mean, you yeah, got to go really. to, you got to go to Santa Maria, Sopranerva, yeah. in Rome. It's just top five, I think. And it, it sanctifies a place in a really remarkable way. I don't want to say ironic because I don't know, that's not the word, but remarkable in that in order to celebrate mercy, you go right to the heart of violence. You hmm. go right to the place, but because of Christ, because of Mary, you have this triumph, you know, a conquest you use. That's, that's exactly right. It's like the war is different than you thought. And the one who is going to win it is the one who shows mercy, the one who triumphs with love. And it's really the, the Christian message in news, you know? Hmm. You just did this stuff on atonement. And yeah. We'll talk about that down the line, but... There is something of this play of um, almost, yeah, victory, conquest over conquest, over violent conquest. Um, So I think, yeah, yeah, it's one of those places where you go and it's, it used to be a nightmare and now it's one of the most beautiful and, um, yeah, lovely kind of places. I think something else that's interesting connected to this is um, you know, you walk through the streets of Rome and you see, you know, the Madonna just everywhere. She's just boom up on the corners of the streets and it's just amazing. Mary's yeah. everywhere. 
Um, and in the Christian West, we have a deep sense of, especially in the Mediterranean world, of the, the beauty and the goodness of the feminine. But in the ancient world and in ancient religious mentality, uh, femininity was often connected to chaos and destruction. Yeah. Um, so you have like in, in, in Hinduism, you have some different manifestations Shiva, of that Shiva. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and Minerva Athena is a classic example of like, this is the, this is the violent God. I mean, she's right there in the heart of everything with Homer. And so just this sense that we, we have this, uh, appreciation and a, a, a redeemed understanding a vision of what woman is Mary as the new Eve the old Eve, it was, it was destruction yeah. and chaos, um, and uh, and again, the the masculine has its own kind of transformation with Christ, but Mary really does embody for us um, the conquest of good over evil, because Mary is um, the reality of creation as it's meant to be, and so that's exactly where we see like this is the archetype, this is the model, the blueprint of what what creation is supposed to be we see that in the feminine in particular yeah. and so we think of mary and we think of just the the warmth and the gentleness of a fiat of a trustful surrender of mercy um the exact opposite but this was not the experience of millions of people throughout history uh, prior to the time of christ yeah that's right yeah it's she really represents she's the the exemplar she re- represents the best of humanity in a very profound way and of course the best christian that ever was so yeah you look to her to know um how do i how do i win i guess with life and it's through through mercy through love uh through charity so i guess i had been thinking i got another example but um i'd been thinking on this in part because i hear a lot of confessions about people won't say rage or wrath but it's what they're talking about um, so many people angry about politics and angry about um, the state of the world, angry about, you know, we had riots in the streets of Denver and the, um, just a couple of years ago, and people so angry about the, uh, the COVID stuff, and it's just driving people mad. You know, these, these people, like your characters in East of Eden, there's, it's the circumstances that draw out a kind of violence from ourselves and, in, and from our hearts. And I'm just seeing it. I'm seeing it in a lot of my ministry and then in the world. You know, there's so much division. A lot of it is ideological, but it plays out with vengeance and resentment and wrath, you know. Hmm. So the violence is, you know, it's, it's a real, it, it's a reality that needs to be confronted and can be confronted by Christians. But I, I think it kind of gets even wrapped into our idea of what is a, what should a Christian crusader be like right now is to win. And if we can have more, a stronger kind of, um, I don't tribe, I don't know, aggression toward others. Maybe that's more explicit than people want to think of it. But it can be like that. You yeah. Know? Even just driving, cut people off. Everybody's yelling at each other. I get a lot of those confessions too. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, th- this book has really starkly brings into 
contrast just what man we t- with this word I almost said postlapsarian man, which is a, a fancy term for just man after the fall. So this humanity fallen, and uh, I had some great late night conversations uh, with my cousins uh, this week. We were all down in Florida for a little family reunion, and uh, my cousin Adam, who listens to the podcast, and so uh, Adam. Yeah, Adam. That's a good one for East of Eden. I, I was thinking about that, Adam, <laughs> Adam Trask. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we circle back to that, just the, the, the kind of the brokenness of human life and the need for redemption. Like something is, is a problem. Humanity is a problem. We're, we're in a state that we can't fix. And no kind of political or economic or social change or reform is going to do it. But now we're in a post-Christian era where we've despaired of the Christian project and the Christian vision and the Christian solution, which is Christ and the cross. And uh, we're just back at, like Christopher Dawson had an interesting insight one time where he said, when, in a world that loses its fa- Christian faith, everything is just left to politics. Mm. And that's kind of where we're at. And I think that's why we're just raging again. And these characters in East of Eden are, not all of them, but many of them are, they see the darkness within them. Mm. Yeah. Jordan Peterson's point of like, what's the what's the lesson from the Holocaust? It's like I I'm I'm a Nazi. I'm capable of this. Yeah, it's in me, and so just recovering a sense of like original sin is yeah, real. I was gonna say original sin. Like that. This is a re- this is a reality. Yeah. Um, the first consequences, and this is atheological. It's somehow human beings reflecting on the human experience. The first consequences of the fall are blame. And then Cain and Abel, yeah, just bloodshed, and and then that continues. It just continues in the stories of of uh, pre-redemption, right? Okay, here's your third example: is that you have Peter who is killed in Nero's circus, and then do you remember the the name of the chapel that is? Um, under the, in the crypt of St. Peter's that is closest to the bones of St. Peter, the relics. The Clementine Chapel. Yeah, it's the Clementine Chapel, right? Now that one's named after Clement VIII, who commissioned it to be built. Michelangelo started the, um, the building of this chapel and then it was finished by another artist. I should look that up. But um, yeah, Clement Clementine Chapel. And it had me thinking of, the sort of tradition of Clements and bringing me back to the first Clement, who was the, what is that, fourth pope? Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius, right? Peter, Linus, Cletus, Clement, yeah, fourth. Yeah, fourth. He um, dies around the end of the first century um, AD. So this wasn't long after, uh, after Peter lived. The tradition says that Peter consecrated Clement as a bishop and that this throughout this time between Peter's death and the death of Clement, um, Clement lived during Trajan's reign and was martyred by being uh, tied to an anchor and thrown in the sea. Um, and this was just the kind of standard, especially for leaders within the Christian movement, and the so I so Peter is killed on in Nero's circus, right? Nero is this crazy tyrant, and he 
was so full of himself that he burned the whole city down, right? And then he blames the Jews, and there's a particular weird group of Jews that are Christians, and so he goes after them all, and Peter ends up being crucified upside down in Nero's circus. That's like a big track for chariot races, right? Um, circus Maximus is the is the kind of most famous and was the most popular at the time, but Nero builds his own, and it's up on this um, on this hill, and the so uh, there's kind of a, a track, and at the end of a, a wall in the middle of the track, you have usually an obelisk, and then on the other side of the wall, this is you know traditionally, they put Peter on a cross upside down, and so he dies there, you know, and then the um, Nero kind of hit a bad end. His memory was they tried to wipe it away, and so the circus comes down and it becomes a, uh, a graveyard and the Christians went there to revere Peter. Eventually there's a chapel built on it. Um, eventually a basilica with Constantine and then St. Peter's Basilica that stands there now. So what I was, what I was thinking on is this is like a symbol of the violence that these martyrs suffer and the triumph of Christ. But it's remarkable to me that the, the fourth Pope would take the name, maybe he was given the name by Peter, of Clement, which means mercy. You know, in the midst of this violence and madness, he's actually promoting mercy. He's not promoting defensiveness or let's hide or let's um, fight back or something like that. But he takes the name of mercy. This is what Christians should be thinking on, be acting on, be um, imitating of Christ at the time of the highest persecution. It's bloody, nasty. People are coming after you. You're afraid. And you should resent Rome. You should hate these people. And he's encouraging the church to mercy, right? Okay, so if you think of San Clemente, the church that um, bears his name, his relics are there. This very church, if you go underneath, there's like old, I think it's Mithras, cultic temple and it's supposedly built on the um the palace of nero remember nero had this mm-hmm. huge palace huge, yeah. gold laden everywhere he used to hunt inside it right it's huge yeah, yeah. Uh, and this was the the madman who went after the christians and burned them on bridges and so you have the relics of saint clement sitting on top of that it's like clement sopra nero hmm. you know the the mercy triumphs over the violence so another just example of the one of those places that you go that's just glorious you see this wonderful mosaic of jesus and the cross bursting into a, a vine you know now it's the tree of life and it's extending throughout the world uh bearing fruit and it's a beautiful beautiful place and I think one of those places of great joy and especially great joy if you know you're standing on the standing on top of that you're you know beating down with your feet the violence of the you know there's the the conquer of Christ over the violence of Rome. That's awesome. Um going back to the obelisk for a second when you were saying Peter being crucified upside down uh in the the circus of Nero 
um, the last thing he probably saw was that obelisk, hmm. which is now what you see when you walk into the center of the um, piazza of St. Peter's Basilica. Yeah. That obelisk, which was taken from Egypt when they conquered. All those obelisks came as, yeah, as think, signs of I war. Think Caligula brought it over there okay. and then Nero set it up on his, um, on his circus. Yeah. But just yeah, anybody who goes to Rome, when you look at that thing, just to, to realize, like, this is the last thing Peter saw as he was dying. Wow. But I had never thought about the San Clemente connection, which is another one of the great, absolute must-go-to churches. If you can get Father Austin Lee, he can yeah, give you a great, say, give you a great tour. The best, yeah. He lived as a friend who podcast listeners know because he's been on, uh, and he uh, he lived there for a number of years. So. Yeah, with the Irish college? Mm-hmm. was it? Uh, Irish Dominicans, yeah. Right. Yeah, so he he's the expert. Yeah. Um, yeah, Father Litke, you can kind of fact check this if you. There you go. <laughs> but it's more of like a poetic type of comparison. Um, but that's it. Those are my three examples of kind of the joy of watching Christ and goodness triumph over evil. Well, this is great. I mean, I you know it's a perfect topic for tonight as I'm finishing this novel because I'm kind of waiting to see like. What is Steinbeck going to say? Because yeah. he's—it's not a Christian perspective. Um, How I mean, does I the think, story I think end? it has some yeah. Christian, definitely some Christian kind of um, uh, vision in it, and some and some real values. But um, a lot of literature is working out the problem of like, how do how does this end? What is the point of anything? Um, and uh, coming and- back to the cross as as the way, as the way, suffering is the way that God conquers evil, that the good does conquer, that it is sopra, as you said. Um, and that's why everything for us is is the cross, is is Jesus uh, at the center of everything. So, Yeah, I think part of the value of this literature and what Steinbeck is trying to do is he's talking about original sin. He's talking, he's like unveiling the the darkness and just this idea that oh i'm a good person you're a good person let's all just be kind to one another but reality isn't necessarily that i think circumstances can make it that in a a place where you know first world suburban you know relative peace now if you dig deep you find the brokenness but steinbeck wouldn't say original sin but that's what we're talking about yeah you know when catholics say original sin we're talking about there's just darkness, and it's not really explainable, uh, but we can identify it. And part of the, the art of a, an author, I, I think art in general, in, in some ways, is to explore that, explore the depths, and um, hopefully, well, we always like a good ending, you know, uh, comedy, but it's, I think, just the reality, being real. And um, and you'll find, yeah, difficulty and violence in the human heart. The uh, Steinbeck, I think, is in the 40s and 50s what like Jordan Peterson is doing now, which is just this incredible penetration into the the psychology of good and evil. I mm-hmm. guess maybe call it that of seeing it how it plays out in human life in the heart. Um, and I think it's a great check for us. Yeah, who live in a culture that says. It's life is about being comfortable and being nice, you know. 
yeah. pursue happiness, do whatever the hell you want, as long as it doesn't offend other people. Um, and that's just, ins- it's just an, yeah, insu- meanwhile, it's, it's an insufficient answer. Everybody's confessing rage and, right. um, wrath and discontent and resentment and, um, these forms of violence, you know, these forms of real anger. There's like tons of depression in the country and, they say that depression is anger turned inward. Hmm. I know it's uh, it's out there, and it's it's good to be honest about it, but also to know that the cross triumphs. You know, it's this it's the suffering of Christ and our own entering into suffering that leads to the resurrection and this triumph. And the, pre- the, the priest is a man who you know is in the confessional, uh, like you are. I'm not as much these days. Um, and I think people get nervous about telling us their sins of like, I don't, I don't want to tell the priestess that like, we understand, we understand the state of the human yep. heart. Yep. We're here to proclaim the conquest of good over evil in your life because of Christ, not because of us. Um, and so just have confidence. And I, we've been, so priests don't live with this illusion. You can't when you're in the confessional all the time, you just know where humanity's at, you know? Um, and we have to be honest about our our oh, angers, yeah. you know. All right, I'm with with Litke listening now. Uh, I'm gonna get Thomas technical, and okay. I ho- I won't try to prolong it too long. But anger is a passion, is a a reaction to a perceived injustice. Okay, so I think something's not fair, and so I get angry. It's a good thing. You know, the passion itself is good because it helps us to set things right and um, we have to be kind of spurred on by our emotions. In excess, though, it is it takes the form of resentment. It takes the form of wrath. It takes the form of revenge. Um, All of these, um, yeah, excesses. And the the remedy or the complement is mercy. It's, yes, things are not fair, but I'm going to love in spite of the uh, injustice and so i just encourage everybody if you're if you find yourself frustrated if you find yourself um angry that you recognize that you acknowledge that and then you look for an opportunity to show mercy yes this isn't fair but the holy spirit can can allow us can empower us can inspire us to love in spite of the injustice it's not fixing it it's mercy it's something greater, something different. Connected to mercy, um, forgiveness, um, the act of, of, of taking the mercy of Christ and, and choosing to live in that. Um, my own confessor said to me, defined forgiveness as giving forth your right to judge a situation or someone. Mm. And I thought that was, a, that was an interesting way of thinking about forgiveness. Uh, it's, not, it's not just kind of suck it up and get over it and yeah. get over the anger, but you're actually giving forth something and saying, I'm just going to let it let, I'm going to let this go because I, because of the trust of Christ and because of the infinite mercy of his heart, which I've received and am living in. And that's where freedom is. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's it. You got some shout outs. Um, I do. Adam, <laughs> Adam white. He'll get to this podcast. He's working his way through it. Um, did but, I meet uh, Adam? I feel like I met uh, Adam. You point. did. You met him at a nursing home. Oh yeah. Because he. Uh, That's it. You remember it was, that? Uh, it was a, driving doing, a hearse. Were you doing a family wedding? Wasn't or something? he driving a hearse? 
Yeah, he was driving a hearse. That's what he does. He's a funeral director. I remember. Yeah, we were just driving along. I was doing yeah. a funeral, and then I, it, somehow the topic of John Nepple came up, and I was like, yeah, I know him. And then this <laughs> guy was like, yeah, I'm his cousin. Yeah, he's a great man. I, I, I just loved being with him and the whole family. We had a great time, so... I'll say shout out to the Bargers and to my siblings. We had a great weekend. Then also, uh, speaking of Litkey, I had mass at St. Thomas this evening, and a local nurse named Christina came up and introduced herself, saying she recognized me from the podcast. I told her I'd give her a shout out. So that means we give her a shout out. So Christina in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, thanks for listening. Yeah. Speaking of St. Paul, um, this is a sad note, but my grandma Mary died. And on Thanksgiving, and a wonderful woman, love her. I'll talk about her down the road too. Yeah. Or talk about her more. Um, but I want to shout out Grandma Mary and ask for prayers for her and uh, just celebrate her and recognize her. And then um, for my aunts, her daughters, uh, my mom, of course, Nancy, and then uh, Linda and uh, her older sister. And well, I guess my, my mom's the youngest. And then Cindy. And um, I won't give their full name so you don't harangue them or something um we always like to respect people's privacy or whatever but um i i mean when i felt the loss of grandma i really i think the hardest part for me was knowing the loss for my mother Hmm. and i'm sure for her sisters too um i can't imagine what it would be like to lose a parent haven't had that yet um thanks be to god but um it'll happen and it's a very sad thing so I want to shout them out and tell them that I, I love them and um, that I'm praying for all of them and uh, look forward to seeing them and, um, yeah, being together and mourning together and celebrating together. Beautiful. That's a great ending. So, all right. God thanks, bless Michael. you, everybody. Welcome to Advent. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Ciao.